This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Noom uses the latest in proven behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good. Noom builds personal plans that can meet an individual's needs, takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching, their platform has helped millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. I think a lot of intelligence has gone into the whole Noom system. They really think about how humans live, how they think, what their psychology is, and it's all been used to help people control their weight. So stay focused on what's important to you with the Noom psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's Noom, N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen for 100 Healthy and Delicious Recipes to Promote Better Living, available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hi, my name is Simon Rich. And I feel extremely grateful about being Conan O'Brien's friend. That was sweet. And, and I think sincere. That was really nice. I went for it. We're going to uh, run that through. We have a machine here called the Snarkometer. And just dial it up. Everything comes out in Dennis Miller's voice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really fucking great about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Cha-cha. Fall is here. Back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, this is a glorious day. My mother always uses the word glorious. Uh, she, I would say, Mom, what do you think of this? slice of pizza. It's glorious. She would say glorious all the time. And I'm quoting my mom. This is a glorious day because for the first time since uh, she left to go on maternity leave and give birth to Mikey and Charlie, uh, her beautiful twin boys, Sonam Obsession is back hey. in the podcast studio. Hey. Sonam! Hey. It's good to be, you can I say something? It was good to be back. Yeah, you know, it was nice. Uh, it was kind of emotional because you've you zoomed in once, yeah, kind of recently. But to have you back here in the studio, and of course, I've been uh, here uh, with uh, with David. Mm -hmm. David is Sona's assistant, and yes, you heard that what? right. My assistant has an assistant. Nah. 
named David Hopping. Um, he's, he's more he's more your assistant now. Well, yes, and what I'm, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is, yeah. he, you used to have an assistant. That's right. Which That's the best time. Which that enabled, was a good time. It was a great. It was a great couple which, of years. Which enabled you boss. to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sona was the best boss, though. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. So, anywho, he uh, says I was the best boss. So yeah, because yeah. he lets you watch, uh, you know, Big Brother or whatever it is you watch. Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. Okay. A lot, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I you're so jealous. I haven't watched TV since Mayberry RFD went off the air. Anyway. Uh, no one got that. David, uh, there's two people out there who got it and boy, are they happy. And both <laughs> of them worked on that show. Um, listen, David has been doing his best to fill in for you and I think doing a lovely job, Excellent. doing a fantastic oh, job you. here in the podcast studio. But great to have you back. Sona, and people have missed you. People have told me how's, everywhere I go, people say, how's Sona doing? Yeah, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Can I, 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 I was really excited to come back. And then I think five minutes into being can here. I, can we, can I tell you what happened? Can yeah, I, I think I, I want out? you to say it. Okay. So I see Sona in the parking lot. We're here at the uh, Earwolf Studios on Sunset Boulevard. Just a fun fact, right across the street from where Greg Daniels and I got started in the business in 1985 at uh, Sunset Gower Studios, not necessarily the news, little fun fact. Anyway, I run into you in the parking lot as we're both about to walk up and we hug and it's kind of emotional. You're back. You look fantastic. Doesn't she look fantastic? She looks great. Yeah, you look amazing. I really do. You You look amazing. And we're just so happy to see you. And then we walk into the offices and there are a couple of people here and Ruthie's here. Uh, from Team Coco, and she's happy to see you and hugs you. And uh, David's hugging you and everyone's hugging Mm you. I want to say maybe at most two minutes went by. Yeah. When you found that there's these uh, energy bars here, little Mm -hmm. snack bars. (laughs) Yeah. And so Sona unwrapped one of the snack bars and was eating it. And you seemed really happy and everyone was really happy. And you're about halfway through this bar. And I said, what you got there, Sona? And you went- what is it? What was it? It was a Kashi um, chocolate almond sea salt delicious, you know, bar. Yeah, it and you were halfway through. You really enjoying so it, and tasty. I said, "What is that?" And and you went, "Oh, it, it's this." And I said, "And what flavor is it?" And you held it out just a little bit, <laughs> and I smacked it out of your hands, and it went flying across the room and shattered into a million pieces. Uh-huh. And you shouted out, "You dick!" Yes, mm-hmm. and. I was thinking, that's what I do. Minutes. <laughs> that's what I do. And you think just because you gave birth to two babies. Oh my God. That you get to come in here now and be treated differently. And what I'm trying to teach you is no. You've got to get your reflexes back. You had, I mean, oh, I've done that I'm on the so team. I've done that to you hundreds of times. Yes. It's actually featured in a very popular YouTube video that's out there where I demonstrate how I do it in front of an HR person. Right, no and shame. you held it out to me because you completely forgot. You were I so did. busy giving life to the world <laughs> that you forgot what it's like to guard your Kashi bar around Conan. I wasn't even angry at you. I was angry at myself. Appropriate. Because I should have seen that coming a mile away. Right. And I now at this point, like you did that once when we were on the show where I was holding a plate of watermelon. You're like, what do you eat there? And I'm like, oh, it's a plate of watermelon. And you didn't hit it. You kicked it. You I, like that was hard. Did a I roundhouse had, kick because I had to kick out it out of my hand. Yes, and I kicked it perfectly, <laughs> so it went flying. And you know. That takes real coordination. It was, yeah. I have very long legs and I did a spinning kick <laughs> and hit the plate, which was paper, fortunately, but I didn't care. 
<laughs> it could have been on a Ming vase and they wouldn't have cared. And the, and the watermelon went flying. Crew members were there. <laughs> <laughs> and they were lo- and they weren't used to this. And it's always right when I really want a snack, I find the perfect snack and it's almost as if something triggers in your brain where yes. you're like Sona's enjoying herself. Oh yes. Let me ruin it. The way a shark can smell blood, <laughs> I can smell joy and I have to attack. <laughs> if I sense joy, I must strike. And uh. you get so happy about your snacks. All I need is food and you take mm-hmm. it away from me. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and you love it. You're oh, so happy. Oh my God, it made me so happy. <laughs> I'm so glad you're back and I'm so glad you're snacking and then gullible enough to when I innocently inquire, so what What flavor is it? You hold it out a little closer to me. Oh God. Well, it's actually, it's chocolate, but it's got a little fudge swirl and quatang goes flying. Minutes. At least like. your hair's still up. Yeah. <laughs> She hasn't done that yet. Oh, yeah. When you just punch my, I have my hair in a bun and you just punch the bun for no reason. I punch the bun because I think that doesn't count as actually hitting you because <laughs> it's, those are dead cells. You never cells. get my head. You don't. No, I got, no, that would be abuse. <laughs> I wouldn't touch the skull or the head, but I've figured out a way that if I punch quickly, like a little rabbit punch, the bun of your hair, it completely falls apart and you go, oh man. <laughs> So good to be back. Anyway, as you can tell, I've missed you. Oh, I've missed you too. <laughs> it was seconds. Just seconds. Well, we are happy to have you and the twins are doing well. I, you send great. me pictures every day. Yeah. And my wife makes fun of me because I run around the house and make everyone look at the pictures. <laughs> I'm not related to you, you know, what and yet kind I'm- of- we're all, we're surrogate relations. Yeah, we have, a, we have a relation, yes. And, but I run around and I go, look, look, here's the latest of Mikey and Charlie, look. And they love looking <laughs> at them. But my wife said, you are far more happy about these children than you were about your own children. <laughs> God. Which is true. That's nice. Thanks, Conan. Yeah. Well, you know me, I'm a real good guy. Yeah. Now, what's that you're eating right there? One time. Okay, well, Sona, um, all I caution you to do is don't eat hot soup near me anytime soon. <laughs> okay. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Just probably not a good idea because it's not my fault. I can't control myself. It's your fault. You can control yourself. Clearly, That's the thing clearly that- I can't. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm very excited. My guest today was the youngest writer ever hired on Saturday Night Live. He's a frequent contributor to The New Yorker, and he's created such shows as Man Seeking Woman and Miracle Workers. His latest book is a delight. I so love this man's writing. It's called New Teeth, and it's available now. Very excited to talk with him today. Simon Rich, welcome. I don't find myself being envious of many people, but I envy you, Simon Rich, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Your writing makes me laugh out loud um, I was reading your your new book, New Teeth, the other day, and I kept shrieking, and my wife and kids would come running in the room because they don't hear me laugh like that. Then I would say, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, and then I would explain the premise of the story and then read them long passages. And anyway, this all reads up leads up to you writing these stories. I've been reading your books for years now and looking at your stuff uh, in The New Yorker, and I'm always put it down and think, God damn it. <laughs> How come he gets to do that? How do you do that? And uh, I'm really, I'm just, so I'm so delighted to have you 
on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, it is so thrilling to hear you say that. I'm a lifelong fan of, of your work and all your shows and, and, and your, your, your writing for some of my favorite shows of all time. The, the bigger influence on my comedy was absurdist 90s television comedy like your late night show mm-hmm. and um, sketch shows that were tonally similar, that were silly and smart, like Kids in the Hall, Kids in the Hall, yep. Mr. Show, yep. The State, uh, the short-lived Ben Stiller show, right? The the you know the last ten minutes or so of SNL when they were allowed to be non-topical and totally weird. Oh my God, that was my uh, as you, I'm sure for you too. But I loved writing weird things, and some of my favorite things that I ever wrote lived at uh, 12.45 on SNL. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, that's the sweet spot. That's Absolutely. where you want to be. Totally, yeah. You don't always have the best set. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're, you have like one flat that's kind of wedged in between right. the Weekend Update desk and like a really cool like parody set. And it's just like, okay, we have, we have this small flat that's big enough to uh, fit one robot. <laughs> you <know>? And you're <laughs> like, uh, one robot? And you're like, I'm, I'm on it. I'm your man. Uh, here, I, here I am. <laughs> Get ready. Because uh, I'm pretty sure Bill Hader has a robot voice. Yes. Pretty yes. sure he can do that. <laughs> and um, can I ask who, when, when you were writing for that show, like who your favorite people to write for were? Well, um, was it Hartman? The best utility performer in the history of Saturday Night Live was Phil Hartman. Yeah. Because Phil Hartman, um, he used to describe himself as a Mr. Potato Head. You could just, you could, you could put anything onto him and he would become that. Yeah. Phil Hartman, improbably, but if you look back at his work, he could play the father, he could play the grandfather, he could play the guy in a leather jacket who's a tough, who's here to beat you up. Both Hartman and Hader. My favorite mode for them is when they're villains. Yes. I yep. like, I, to me, like Troy McClure, Lionel Hutz, like I, I prefer them to be snaky and oily and yes. sneaky. Uh, and that always was so thrilling to be able to write charming bad guys, which you can get away with with Bill. And you can't get away with, with that with most performers. We have so many points of commonality that it's almost absurd. Like I look at your transcript, transcript. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I look at, I want to call it a transcript. Yeah. I looked up your comedy, uh, comedic transcript. And um, <laughs> there, there's so many of the, we've done so many of the same things. We both got started on the Harvard Lampoon. And that was sort of our awakening. And I want to, you know, um, The Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, so many points where you and I have had, I think, similar experiences and where I honestly believe you've ripped me off uh, completely. <laughs> uh, there was a period of time where you were wearing a red pompadour wig. Yeah, uh, and stilts and the whole, <laughs> the whole business. <laughs> but you gave me 15% of your income. That's uh, right, just, yeah. Yeah, which was, I thought was incredibly uh, kind of you. Um, but you brought up, when you bring up villains, I remember when I was at The Simpsons, all I wanted to do was write for Mr. Burns. Yeah. Because Mr. Burns is evil, which is so fun to write. It is so fun to write the evil. Best. He's comedically old, so yeah. you can have all kinds of fun with him being an intern for Thomas Alva Edison, oh, you know. The greatest. Or whatever. <laughs> he also has limitless wealth. Right. Which is fun to write. Yes. Because he can have an underground lair that's filled with hyperbaric chambers, whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I was at The Simpsons, just constantly wanting to bring Mr. Burns into the story 
when he didn't fit at all. <laughs> yeah, and them kind yeah, of yeah. telling me, no, you can't have more chocolate cake right now, Conan. You, you, yeah, yeah. you have to resolve yeah. Marge's issue with Homer <laughs> over their marital difficulties. And I was like, God damn it. I'm telling you, I want to write about Mr. Burns's brain being put into a chimp, you know? It really is like, yeah, it's an all-you-can-eat comedy buffet with Mr. Burns. And yeah. I mean, the, the funniest villains often, or the, like, the kind of best constructed villains often are weak in some way because mm-hmm. it allow it, make, it gives them some level of sympathy that you're allowed to make them even more evil mm-hmm. you know which is why it's so brilliant that Cartman is eight yes know, yes and 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 overweight and mocked and and you know he's physically kind of has a hard time getting yeah. around and, yeah, yeah yeah and I think that's like right out of the Burns playbook you know or or, or to make Stewie you know a baby yep. is a brilliant choice and a lot of my favorite villains have some kind of infirmity because it just you like them just enough that when they decide um to block out the sun or whatever you're like okay yeah i know exactly what you're talking about um and let's start i don't talk about this much i don't know why i don't talk about it much but um but i was fairly insecure about a lot of things didn't quite know where i fit in the world and then i get to this very prestigious college and went there with every intention of being a serious student and scholar, bumped into the Harvard Lampoon first semester freshman year. It was like stumbling into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Yeah. I just thought almost a, almost a religious experience of these people take seriously the stuff that's so important to me that no, that I didn't think you could take seriously. I honestly yeah. didn't think you could take comedy writing seriously right. or being silly seriously. I mean, yeah, I mean, I distinctly remember like a four-hour debate about which Masturbating Bear segment was the most important, you know, in oh, terms at the of- lampoon? Yeah, like in oh. terms of like- Well, like, I'm, I'm glad I did my part to, like why? To, move the, to move the chess piece forward. It was literally like <laughs> intense, like four hours, like no, when Masturbating Bear quits smoking. Yeah. That that's the best one, and here's why. And right. then and somebody else being like, "I disagree. I think that's when it lost its way." And like that, you cannot. You, and, and just like heated yeah. heated debates about the silliest uh, uh, sketches. When you're 18 years old and just out of high school, and I went to a public high school, and I was a, a rube. I mean, I didn't know anything about anything. I got into the lampoon, and suddenly, 21 year old seniors are saying, "Hey, I really like that piece you wrote, or I really like that cartoon you did." And to an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old is- The president. He's the president yeah. of the United States. You can't believe. He, he, yeah. You cannot believe <laughs> that this person's making eye contact this, with you. The man with a full mustache is looking you in the eye. Someone who needs to shave. Yeah. It isn't an affectation. They right. actually- They need it. Yeah, Because hair grows out of their out face. Out of their face every day, <laughs> daily. I yeah. used to, at that age, I was inserting hairs into my face. And painstaking ritual <laughs> hours. Wake up in the early pre-dawn hours with the tweezers and yeah. the glue. And, just, and insert. I remember, it, yeah, I still do it. The these adults, they were adults to me, <laughs> yeah, and they were full on adults and yeah. looked like adults and talked like adults. They would and- drink like like nice beers. Like yes. not just any beer. Like right. they would be like, I prefer this beer to that beer. I prefer the taste of this beer. <laughs> As opposed to just like get it in my throat yeah. by the fastest physical mechanism that we have. <laughs> I'm told you had a tracheotomy so you could get the beer in even faster. <laughs> it's like, no, I this beer I prefer it. Like, what yeah. is it? What what sophisticated world it's like am James I? Bond. Yeah. <laughs> if you have an Amstel light, I'll take it. That guy's the coolest man. The coolest ever. thing in the world. I mean the the I mean the miracle of of writing for me, has has has, a, has been basically 
it's this thing that I started doing because I didn't always feel like I fit in right. with other people uh, in, in school. Um, and I often felt like, okay, my, my, the things I think are funny, kids at the popular table don't necessarily think that they are funny. And um, I wasn't on the sports teams and I was not, you know. The fact that you called them the sports teams. <laughs> the sports teams, yeah. <laughs> and so I was alone in my room studying, you know, studying The Simpsons uh, yeah. and Kids in the Hall sketches and writing as like a, as a kind of like way to deal with the uh, social weirdness that, that mm-hmm. I felt. And then somehow through the writing, I ended up with this community of friends yeah. who, who saw the world in the same way that I did and, and who even wanted to collaborate with me. And that's the thing that I'm so grateful is, is, is when I started writing, uh, I loved it from moment one. As soon as I started writing as a child, I was like, this is what I want to do forever. But I did not think that it was going to make me lifelong friends. It is, um, it's a little like Robin Hood where you start off and then you pick up people along the way. And then before you know it, you have your gang of merry men, your posse of people that you collect along the way. The other amazing thing is you, in in my case, I've learned so much from the people I've met along the way. Like at every stage at the, at at the Harvard Lampoon and then at SNL and then at um, later on when I worked at Pixar mm-hmm. and then the other TV shows I did after that, I learned so much from the other writers. That's the thing that I really like is if you can say there's your, you know, there's Mulaney's and, and, and you know, your Jack Handy's and uh, your Jim Downey's and Robert Smigel and, 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 you know, you. There are all these people that come up with these ideas that I think, oh, this is going to be really funny. This is just funny the way it's like an oar. You can put it in a furnace and melt it down, and it will just be a. It'll be a funny goop that then can reform into a solid. It's still funny. It's a mass. It's solid. Um, it's not attitude. It's not getting by on a buzzword. That it's not trading on your emotions. It's just got this um, this worth that yeah. I think is so cool. I got to write most weeks at SNL with with two writers, Marika Sawyer and John Mulaney, and the mm-hmm. three of us wrote together most weeks. And they are the two funniest people I've ever met. Yeah. And I learned so much from getting to work with them. And to this day, I still can't believe they like let me tag along because they were both so much funnier than I was. Not only was everything they were doing stronger than what I was doing, it was happening at a speed that blew my mind. I mean, it's like watching, it's like you, it's like being a sprinter and then racing against Usain Bolt. And you just, it's a level of speed that it almost seems magical. Yep. It's hard to explain how surreal it, 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 it felt to write with Melania America, because it, it, it's like it, it would be like meeting somebody who spoke in, in perfect rhyming verse in iambic pentameter, you know, without even trying. Well, it's funny when people have an access, this makes me think of Downey, and I think it's also true of uh, obviously of Melania, if they have immediately access to the right phrase. Perfectly every so, time. So I remembered when I um, was going to go see John's show downtown in LA, and he said, Oh, terrific. And then as a joke, I just said, I plan to walk in you know, a few minutes into your set. <laughs> to and, try to rattle you. you no, know, no, I like, and, and my, the idea was, I, and, and, you know, I'm just expecting, I'll use the center aisle uh, so that you can hit me with a spot and, and say whatever you want to say about me. And I said, I'll walk in, I won't walk in too quickly. And he wrote back immediately. He said, uh, you'll walk in at a king's pace. <laughs> and I was like, shit, that's the phrase. It's king's pace. He and always I, has it. <laughs> he, he has it instantly. Yeah, he has every it instantly. Time. A king's pace, I thought. <laughs> uh, but um, for my entire college career, 
I thought about comedy when, and, and thought about different ideas and what's the best way to be funny and why does this not work, but that works. That got me started a lot earlier, I think, than I would have otherwise been thinking about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I was the same way and I, I even, even the courses that I took were designed to get material. Like I purposefully would take classes Right. That I thought would like yield interesting premise ideas. So if you look at my transcript, it's <laughs> okay. Well, all, wait, really? It's all like, yeah, no, literally, it's like medieval medicine. Uh, any any <laughs> any class I could find that had any class I could find that had monkey in the title. Uh-huh. Like sometimes it'd be like really hard science classes. I could barely understand what was happening, but I was like, eh, there, there might be some fun. Some, That's some stuff about monkeys in here. You're at Harvard and you're choosing <laughs> courses that might help you with a comedic premise. Yeah. So you probably I'd, I find if I looked at your college record. Like four times you you took classes on pirates. Exactly. I literally <laughs> took a class on pirates. Um, any any class I could take about uh, talking animals. <laughs> like, like, uh, I took a robotics class. I mean, it was just like, you know, uh, anything I could do to try to get get new premises that, uh, that other people were going to get. Today's episode is brought to you by Cap'n Crunch. This has meaning for me, okay? Because I grew up as a child obsessed. My brothers and I were obsessed with sugar cereals. We loved Cap'n Crunch. And then when they came out with Cap'n Crunch and Crunch Berries, oh. I just, it was like Oppenheimer. <laughs> I saw a white light and I knew that life had changed forever. And true story, I was just back in Boston visiting my brother, Neil, and not kidding, he is two years older than me. We are grown-ass adults. What do we do? We sit down at our kitchen table in Brookline, Mass, and we both crack open a box of Cap'n Crunch with Crunch oh Berries. My God. And we had it together, multiple bowls, and I was so happy. Oh, it's nice that you have that. It really is. Break away from the ordinary with Cap'n Crunch and bring back the spirit of adventure to your mornings. Everyday life can be stressful, but I've got to tell you, it's just such a sense memory for me. Not just original Cap'n Crunch, which is great. Then... Oops, all berries yeah, they came up with. I remember that. Usually I don't eat foods that have oops in the title. <laughs> but when they came up with oops, all berries, I was there. Peanut butter. Oh my God, peanut butter crunch is fantastic. It turns the milk into this cool peanut butter milk. I love it. Join the crew for your next breakfast time crunch venture. That's a word now. Buy Captain Crunch's new cinnamon crunch now at a retailer near you and learn more at captaincrunch.com. Neil, we made it! <laughs> On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less Filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not yeah. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it 
It's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it in Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I saw you did something on your show which absolutely floored me, uh, Man Seeking Woman, and you did a piece where Hater is Hitler at a party, and he's like in, in a cool loft party. Yes. And there's a guy there who's like, and it's Hitler now, he's like 130 years old. Yeah, the, that, that's uh, based on one of my short stories, and the, the, the premise is actually the pilot of Man Seeking Woman. Yes. The very first episode. We led with we led with 135 year old Hitler. Um, the but I loved it because <laughs> it was it was Hitler um, is at this party and now he's dating this guy's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. The premise is that this guy he finds out that his ex girlfriend, uh, this 20 something guy, his ex girlfriend has, has moved on to someone new and he's still in love with her and he, it's now she's dating this older, richer guy and he becomes even more upset when he finds out that that person is Adolf Hitler, who is uh, 135 years old, apparently faked his death and, and you know met his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend in Buenos And he's Aires. got money and he's in a wheelchair. He's in a wheelchair. I mean, he is, he is 135, so he's right. unimaginably old, but he is still with it. And his friends, uh, his best friend, played by Eric Andre, is like, you know, give him a break, give him a chance. Like, like, I know he's sort of sketchy, but like, he's got great stories. 
And like, I think maybe he's got, a, he's got a really cool apartment, cool apartment. And I think maybe you just don't like him because he's dating Maggie. You know? <laughs> he's and, like, you he's know, Adolf Hitler. And they're like, you know, you know, like maybe cool with that. Cause like we're at, we're at his apartment and like, there's like really good shrimp and like it's completely you know, insane. And yeah. I love how it was a really good hipster party. And of course, Hater, as you said, is so great at being, he's charming as an old, old Hitler and you know it's all it's there was some bad you know but, he knows he, he knows, knows that he's 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 done some some questionable things yeah. uh, but he also kind of has a sense of humor about it all and Maya Erskine yep. who now is this brilliant show Pen Fifteen yep. is great as uh, as the as as Maggie as the ex girlfriend yep. who. Uh, it basically it builds to the point where she tells Jay Baruchel, who plays the, the the main character, that he needs to apologize to Hitler for for ruining his party. Exactly, and he has to say, "I'm sorry, Hitler." And then, That's, but then Hitler is so it is, it is improvised. Yeah, Hitler is so old that he's extremely deaf, I and can't so hit so him. Bill Hader's like, "What?" <laughs> And, and then, and then, and then uh, yes. Jay has to apologize to Hitler louder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have like one extended improv take where he has to apologize like twelve times because Hitler keeps forgetting. So it's just it. so funny because I re- <laughs> I saw that and I thought, shit, you've ramped it up. Where Jay Baruchel has to say sorry, Hitler, because he's really being a drag at Hitler's loft party at his really cool party. Yeah, I and, mean, uh, yeah, I because when I was growing up, I really. Loved, like I said, I loved absurdist mm-hmm. sketch comedy. Um, and the other thing I was obsessed with was um, heartbreaking realist fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I would be watching Kids in the Hall, and then during commercial breaks, I would be reading like Carson McCullers and and like yep. Richard Yates, like stuff that is not necessarily depressing, but but like stuff that like can make you cry because it's so emotionally brutal. Yep. And I always thought like, I wonder if you could do these at the same time. Like, I wonder if you can write a story about like unrequited love that is as brutal yep. as Flannery O'Connor's story. Yes. But also have robots. And also have time travel and also have talking monkeys. Like, can you jam those two things together? And I remember asking, like, my English teachers, like, do you know any writers who, who like, do that? And and one teacher I remember told me it's impossible because the funnier something gets, the more superficial and hollow it becomes. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's true. And the reason why I don't think it's true is because of The Simpsons. Because mm-hmm. The Simpsons, especially the era of The Simpsons that that, that you were a part of, it's super silly, super absurd, and also incredibly emotionally grounded yeah. and moving and poignant, sometimes all within the same scene or even within yes. the same joke. And um, so I was like, I know this can be done. And 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 I've been trying, trying with, with varying degrees of success to, to try to kind of do that thing of being silly, but also emotional at the same time. Well, you know, it's, um, it's you know, I want to make sure I, I talk about this because New Teeth uh, is that your new book of uh, short stories, and I've devoured all of your short stories over the years. But there's so many stories in here where I found myself really laughing because it's so funny. But then there's um, something that feels sweet and real to me at the end that's earned. Uh, there's this story you wrote called Clabo. Please, if you're listening, go out and get new teeth and read Clabo because... I read it, the entire story out loud to my family because <laughs> I kept laughing so much. I'm so happy you like that one. But Clabo is, uh, when I talk about being envious, I wish I had written Clabo. Uh, and oh, in fact, you. I'm going to start telling people I wrote Clabo. And just, <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Most people won't bother to look up that you and find out that you wrote it. 
So there'll be a 3% we'll yeah. end up thinking I wrote Clabo and, <laughs> and that's all I want. But Clabo is a, um, is a giant, like super-powered ape uh, that has saved Earth many times. And now it's a couple of years later, no creatures have come from the sky in a long time and they bring Clabo in and they tell him, basically, we, don't, we can't afford your giant fortress of solitude. We yeah. can't afford... They tell him there's been some budget cutbacks. Yeah. So we're actually going to uh, put you into a management situation. <laughs> and, and yeah, because they're polite because, you know, he's, he was a big hero to, to, you know, many years ago and they don't want to slight him. So they, yeah. they're, you know, as a conciliatory, they kick him upstairs essentially. Yeah. And they say, uh, you're going to be our new senior coordinator for the Office of Community Affairs. And Clabo is impressed, you know. Um, you're going to get your own office. And Clabo, now, of course, Clabo speaks the way you would imagine Clabo would speak. He is a, a giant um, ape creature. So Clabo's excited and says, and Clabo going to need new clothes. <laughs> Clabo need tie. Clabo need shoes. And um, Clabo need to go to bed by 10. He's, he's saying this to his wife. Clabo need to leave early in the morning. Clabo need to allow time for learning new commute. He's so excited. And then you, you get to this passage where he has a whole suit that he's picked out to wear to work. And I'm just going to read this because I just loved it so much. Clabo got to work four hours early. He didn't have a key card yet, so he spent the morning pacing around the lobby, stopping at each mirror to scrutinize his outfit. He still wasn't fully confident in his executive look. At 12 feet tall and 1,900 pounds, shopping for business clothes had been a challenge. Mimi, that's his wife, had managed to find him a pair of quadruple X khakis. But when he'd tried them on at dawn, the seams had exploded, leaving him no choice but to tie the garment over his crotch like a diaper. In lieu of a tie, he painted a red stripe on his chest. His shoes were buckets. <laughs> I just was like, like, this is so delightful. <laughs> he shows up to work like that. And of course, he's used to battling space aliens. And now people at work are kind of snarky because he doesn't know anything about management. There's a lot of eye rolling, <laughs> inner office politics. He, and he's just trying to hang <laughs> this new this new environment and trying to fit in and, and yeah. do a good job and serve the city in this new way. But yeah. he just doesn't have he really only had one skill that everyone needed and Which was when it was Clabo well, time he could bash yes, aliens. He, nobody was better at bashing the, these worms from space. But <laughs> when it comes to figuring out the, the Wi-Fi password, it, you know, it, it's very tricky for him. Yeah, and they're trying to get him the Wi-Fi and he's trying and he just says, get me numbers, get Clabo numbers. He knows that his job involves numbers in he some way. He thinks that he can fake it. You know, <laughs> that if he just keeps demanding, if he keeps demanding numbers of people that somehow he'll, he'll succeed. Yeah, Clabo need numbers, he would say. You give Clabo numbers now. And Kevin, who's like the young guy at the firm who has to kind of look <laughs> yeah. after, is like, what numbers? You tell me, Clabo would say. You are supposed to know which numbers. You find out which numbers and you show to Clabo. I don't know what you want. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. And poor Clabo. Uh, but I read it and I had so much, and, and there's a really sweet ending uh, to the story. Um, but I think one of the things you do so well is don't spend any time trying to massage a crazy premise. <laughs> Just start by saying, 
Clabo was a giant ape who protected Earth for yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, That's the way you do it. You, 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 you know what I mean? Thank There's- you. Thank, well, thank you so much. I'm so happy you like that story. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, some of my, my favorite short story writers are not comedy writers. Uh-huh. Like, I, like they're genre writers. So like Stephen King and, mm-hmm. and Bradbury and Philip K. Dick and Shirley Jackson and yep. uh, T.C. Boyle. Like these are writers who take really big swings. You know, the, the mm-hmm. first sentence of a Bradbury short story, you're transported. Like, by the end of the yep. sentence, you know, okay, I guess I'm on this spaceship now. Yeah. And there's an alien loose. Like, you're right there. And um, I try to emulate those kinds of writers where, like, that's why that's why I prefer to write short story collections to novels. So I have written a couple of novels, but I mostly write short stories because you can take these really big swings. You can just say, okay, yeah, here's a giant monkey man uh, trying to learn how to be a uh, a middle manager in a bureaucracy, uh, and and I and um and then ten pages later, you know, when you're on to the next story, it can be um a 1930s style noir, or yes. it can be a, about a, a. You wrote a, a great noir story in here uh, about um, it's a baby who's basically the detective, and <laughs> uh, and there's another baby, a, a young girl baby, yeah. <laughs> who who is the femme fatale who yes. wants. <laughs> uh, who, who's hiring him to find out what's going on. And everything lines up with a great detective story, but you're talking about people that are, what, a year old? Yeah, so the- <laughs> How old are they? Yeah. He can move, so I'm thinking he he's can, about a year and a half old. He's two. Yeah, he's two. He's yeah. two, uh, and he's, it's called The Big Nap, and it's kind of a, <laughs> modeled after, you know, the Chandler <laughs> yeah, yeah. novels. And, and he he's two years old, um, and he is just he, he life is hard for him. You yeah. know, he is weary and tired. Yes, he's hitting the bottle all the time. He he often will wake up and not know where he is. He's just you know trying to keep it all to straight and keep it all together in a world that makes no sense. And um, then um, yeah, this femme fatale, this baby girl shows up with a missing unicorn, and she wants him to find it. And mm-hmm. he's not sure whether he got to get mixed up with her because. She has this like shady past. She doesn't exactly yeah. know where she came from. Like some people she said, has a shady past. <laughs> like some people said that she came from the hospital. But then there's also this rumor that she once lived inside of mommy's tummy, and so he doesn't really he doesn't really trust her, you know. But she yeah. has Batman stickers. Yeah, and she's gonna pay him. So he's like, hey, a job's a job. Oh, I love it. And yeah. then like as uh, as the story progresses, like like in all of these, in, in a lot of these detective noir novels from from the from the 30s 40s 50s he f- realizes you know there's something about this screwy kid like i i i kind of like her i yep. think like i she's getting under his skin she's getting under his skin yeah but then of course she ends up betraying him yeah uh and then ultimately there's there's a happy uh, resolution and so it's like it it is like a, it is like a parody it's satire but what, what i was hoping to do is like Emotionally, I was hoping to tell a story about like uh, two two siblings becoming friends. You yes, know, about yeah. about a, a toddler well, learning. Maybe my baby sister is not so bad. Maybe we can we can coexist. Maybe we can work this out. Yeah. Well, I think that's something you do uh, exceptionally well, which is you you take a story we all know, which is in this case the Chandler story, the the tough Humphrey Bogart, the uh, you know the 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 woman coming into the detective office who's in trouble. He's not going to fall for this, but he starts to, and then you flip it around. So we're seeing it 
through the eyes of these babies, which makes me see it in a completely different way. It's very disarming. One of my favorite things you did in that, uh, it's a spoiler, but it doesn't matter because it's just that funny when you read the stories. There's a great moment because we all know that in detective stories, at some point they slip the detective a Mickey and uh, <laughs> they slip the detective a Mickey. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. They put something in his drink yeah. and then uh, he wakes up somewhere and he realizes that the, the bad guys drugged him. And in this one, he's trying to get away and an adult clearly gives him like some Robitussin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, wakes yeah. Up in his, he wakes up in his crib. And yeah. Like, and it was great because it was just, it, it slid over perfectly. It worked yeah. really nice. And in that story, the, thank you. In that story, the grownups are essentially Essentially, the, the mob. They're the enemy. Yes, yes. And it's like he a knows, big nefarious group of grownups. Yeah, which is perfect. Yeah, right. And they're 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 they speak in code. Right. They're constantly disappearing. You don't know what they're up to. And and um, he knows that it all goes back to Mama somehow. Like he knows that she's at the top. Right. And that right. everybody works for her. Yeah. Including especially da- Dada. But yep. but like he doesn't know more than that. Doesn't he's know. Just trying it's a to, shadowy world. It's a shadowy world. You know, they have their their secret after hours hang out at the TV room where, you know, they stay up late doing God knows what. And yeah, he's he's justly terrified of them. Yeah. Well, this is, I'm going to really get into the weeds here with a question for you, which is something that has always fascinated me in comedy. And I see you do it uh, sometimes really well. There's a, a story that you wrote in here, which is a really great, funny story about these two pirates that are just the worst, cruelest pirates ever. They literally, their beards are soaked with the blood of their victims. They they talk like pirates. They're tough. And then they find this little girl that they've got to take care of. They're talking like pirates, but trying to figure out basically how to ferberize the baby, like get yeah. it on a sleep schedule. They end up having different parenting philosophies. <laughs> yeah, they have different parenting philosophies. And, yeah, they were a great duo. You know, when it came to killing people and stealing their gold and, and, and sailing the, the seven seas, they, they got along perfectly. And then when it comes to the question of how do we deal with this three-year-old girl— it's like, you know, like, or maybe we should be getting her on some kind of schedule. You know? Yeah. And then the other one's like, ah, no, you know, because one pirate wants to keep her up all night and let her have fun. And then it's like saying, ah, I think we should put her on a schedule. And then the first one <laughs> saying, ah, well, you know, if she makes noise at, at four, we'll just handle it then. And then the second one, as we've all have heard this conversation in relationships many times, oh, so you'll be the one getting up at four. <laughs> ah, and I thought, but one of the things I love is, There'll be a character like a Homer Simpson or whatever who's uh, clearly not very bright. And the whole premise is that he's not very bright. But at a given moment- He'll when, suddenly be a savant. And yes. He'll have a full gi- knowledge. Of at a given moment, if it's funny for yeah. Homer yeah. to suddenly have access to great knowledge, he will. Yes. Uh, I was re-watching some episode that was not from my era, but you know, Lisa said, makes some kind of joke about, or she's worried about her college career and- she says, you know, I don't know if I'll get into an Ivy. I might have to go to Vassar. And uh, he spits out, he says, no daughter of mine. Uh, yeah, and, but he's also like, enough Vassar bashing in this house. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, sorry. He I says, just... I won't stand for any more Vassar bashing in this house. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Homer doesn't even know uh, what Vassar would be in any other reality. But suddenly he knows that there's an old trope of Vassar bashing yes. in the Ivy Leagues. And he defends it and he defends <laughs> Vassar. That's right. I miss so, Yeah, it's so great. Um, so I, you know, I'm, and I've noticed that I bring it up because obviously that's a, a trick that you can do in, uh, in, in comedy is suddenly a character has knowledge to just what to say. I've noticed that sometimes in your stories, 
you're really getting into the rhythm of this pirate language, and it's really great. And then suddenly, uh, a pirate knows. All right, you're just being passive aggressive now, and, <laughs> and suddenly he has access right. to something to a level of uh, knowledge of human behavior. We in, in the 21st century use the word passive aggressive all the time, but this pirate, yes, <laughs> yes, and, so, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'll be in situations where uh, there'll be like a, a you know either at the New Yorker or with one of my publishing houses, there'll be a very sweet fact checker who is like, because I get the copy edits, and I don't think an 18th century pirate would know this term. Or, yes. Or like, I don't think this slang word, <laughs> you've been consistent for many paragraphs in a row, but I don't think that the elephant man would- Well, see, <laughs> would, this is what I was gonna bring up. say you, that something was played out. Yes, you know? yeah, and, yeah, that's what I was gonna and, bring up. You, you wrote this piece <laughs> that, I, that I love called Case Study, and it's, the, it's about, it's basically, it's the story of the elephant man, and it's all the diary, it's the diary of the physician who's helping him. But suddenly you'll, you'll keep doing this great rhythm thing where you'll, you'll change it up. It's all written as a, a medical report would be in the 1880s. But then, he, you know, he'll notice that the elephant man is kind of coming on to his wife by reading poetry in front of her. He becomes uh, uh, obsessed with the theory that uh, there's something going on between his wife and the elephant man. Yeah, and the elephant man, and he's writing, and, and he's still writing in that 19th century style, but at one point he'll say things like, um, he's reading poetry again. I mean, He's really pushing it. And yeah. you'll think, well, no, no one would have said that, but it's he, hilarious. At one point he, he asks, um, he, he asks rhetorically why she would do him like this. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is extremely, why would, why would you, ex, extremely anachronistic. Yeah, why would you do me? And there's another point that I really loved where you're uh, suggesting that, um, you know, it's brought up that, well, possibly they're having some kind of affair. And someone says, that wouldn't happen. This is Victorian England. <laughs> There's something akin to that where people are right. very aware that this is the Victorian well, era. That's right. Well, well the wife, <laughs> the, yeah. Because the wife says, we're not, we're, you know, you're being uh, jealous and, and, right. and ridiculous and insecure, but also like, He's clearly gay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, "How do you know he's gay? Did he come out?" And she said, "Well, no, he wouldn't come out. It's Victorian England." Yeah, People he's got a, he's got enough going on. He doesn't yeah. need that. <laughs> also, so they somehow have knowledge of the time period they're in. They're very self aware. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. I mean, in terms of that whole that whole that whole trick that the sort of the inconsistency that you're describing. Like, yeah. I mean, the simple answer is I love it. Yeah. I think it's hilarious when yes. all of a sudden you learn. Um, like in, in a in a Simpsons episode that I wrote, you find out that Homer at one point self-published an autobiographical novel about his father, <laughs> uh, yeah, which is completely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I love that device, but um, my rule is always if it's emotionally honest, right, you can be as inconsistent as you want. It's, it's that old David Letterman line of just accept the premise, yes, and go. And I remember there was a Simpsons episode again. I'm quoting stuff that I had nothing to do with, but. Lisa's citing different people who she's, I don't forget what it is. I forget exactly what the context is, but she's saying something and she says, why, you know, even Supreme Court Justice Souter thought so. And Homer just goes, oh no, 
not suitor. You're like, Homer wouldn't know or care who Justice Suitor is. Right, but it's emotionally. Oh, no, not suitor. But it's emotionally wrong, you know, like. Um, I swear to God, I could do this all day. Um, and maybe we should just have a podcast where you and I uh, break down, get really into the weeds on comedy. But this has been uh, absolutely joyous for me. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to, again. <laughs> I'm just incredibly embittered by your success and your talent. But uh, no, I, this was a delight, absolute delight. And uh, I want to make sure that I, I tell people, um, you know, the nice thing about this podcast is I don't have to plug anything. That, that's what I love about it. For years and years and years, I was saying, well, okay, let's get to the clip. And um, what's really nice is I'm mostly talking to people and I mention what they're up to or I don't. But New Teeth stories by Simon Rich, if you're, we're all need to laugh more. And uh, man, this is a funny collection of stories and, and also really sweet, but hard, hard laughs. So please keep making this stuff. Thank it's you. really good. Thank you. It really means the world to me. Thank you. All right. I never want to see you again. <laughs> show, show yourself out. <laughs> It's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Brian Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT, introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cam and the Nest Doorbell with a battery or wired option. Your choice. Easily install the ADT Self Setup security system at your convenience. You don't need heavy-duty tools. And if you do need help, ADT can provide virtual assistance along the way. Self Setup from ADT grows, moves, and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. It also features Nest Cams that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. These things are getting so smart. Plus, on every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just one quick tap. 
Now everyone can get trusted security from ADT installed your way with no long-term contracts. When the most trusted name in home security as the intelligence of Google, well, <laughs> you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are all trademarks of Google LLC. Once again, Sona is back with us in studio, uh, joining David and I. The team is reunited. We're thrilled to have you. Yeah. How's it going? So I wanted to talk about this one thing that happened to me. And I want to get your take on it because I know Liza was always very open with your kids. Mm -hmm. So two of my friends were at my house and they have a seven-year-old daughter. Yes. And she was like hanging out with me and whatever, feeding the kids. And then at one point I went to go change one of the diapers for one of the boys. And she, I take off his diaper and she goes, why does he have a tongue in between his legs? And I go, well, that's his penis. She goes, his what? I go, that's his penis. You have a vagina and he has a penis. And she goes, what do I have? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. How old was she? She was seven. She was 27 years old. <laughs> that's the scary part. And she's from Arkansas. This is horrifying. I just she don't graduated know. law school. Wait, oh sorry, she's seven. She's seven. Yeah, she should know things at seven. That's what I was saying. And uh, I well, first of all, Liza, my wife, is from the. You, you explain everything, and you you just are very like that's the that's a fact. That's what you have. You have a penis. You have a vagina. Yeah. I I'm uncomfortable even talking about it. <laughs> Um, those things weren't mentioned in my home. And my dad's a doctor. So I, know. I grew up thinking I have a vagina and uh, was actually told by several doctors that it resembled. But anyway, you we got several that. doctors to tell you there was later, there was a surgery and we're fine. Oh um, my God. But the point is, and they can do miracles. So, you know, well, I don't uh, understand what you do in the medical community. Okay. They can, whatever, um, from scratch, they pretty much oh. built me functioning. Anyway, my point is that my wife is just very much, that's what it is. Yeah. And so there's no squirming or, uh, so my question is, what is this girl's parents saying to her? So uh, it, so she was very confused. And then, you know, and also it's very complicated now because it's, there are men who have vaginas and women who have penises. And I didn't even want to get into that. So I kept it very No, you don't have to get into simple. that. You can keep it simple, yeah. And I was, you know, and then later on I went downstairs and I had to say to her parents, I go, I just told your daughter what a penis and a vagina was. Uh -huh. And they were pretty, uh, they were kind of upset at me. Oh, no, really? <laughs> but- Post How can they do. be upset? What are you supposed to do if she follows you into the room? It's not like you introduce the subject. No, no. And, and oh my God, I forgot at one point. And it's not like you you gave her a book, like, and here's the big book of dicks, you know? <laughs> it's a Dr. Seuss book. Mr. Wix's has dicks's, you know, you didn't do that. You were confronted while you were changing yes. your boy's diaper yeah. with a question. Yeah, and so, oh, the, I forgot this part. So I was cheating, and I was like, oh, you have a vagina. And then she goes, and then she was like confused. And then I go, you know, I was like, did you not know this? I was like, he has a penis, you have a vagina. And then she looked at me and she goes, I don't think you're supposed to be talking to me about this. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> and I got really uncomfortable. 
And then, oh my god, I just finished changing their diaper, one of their diapers, in in complete silence, and this was so awful. So, so, and and you say the parents were not happy with you. Yeah. What would they have had you do in that situation? I don't. I feel like they would have been like, they would have probably been better with me being like, ask your. Parents. Yes, oh. I see. Yeah, I see. And I, you know, I just that's know. not your jam. You don't. Well, a similar thing happened with my niece. My husband's parents are divorced and they're both remarried. Mm-hmm. And so Ava was asking me, she goes, why does Tack have four parents? I go, well, because his parents are divorced. And then she goes, well, what's divorce? And I said, well, it's when two people who are married aren't don't want to be married anymore. And then she goes, well, why wouldn't they want to be married anymore? And then we got deep. And then I was like, you know, love changes. Things happen. Yeah. Love's pretty much a a myth Uh, (laughs) over time as people age and they see the encroaching shadow of death. They realize we're here, but for a short time. And we should probably taste other fruits. Oh, no. Wait. Don't say taste other fruits. Well, aren't I just saying what? Maybe I went too far. Yeah. Honey, I love you. But anyway, <laughs> baby, you're the best. But no, uh, how deep did you get with? Well, we got deep. And then D- Danny and Lucy said that every time they would have like even a slight disagreement after that, Eva would ask them if they were going to get a divorce. Like she was kind of traumatized by it. But well, all you have to say to Ava just before she's going to sleep is don't worry. Statistically, it only happens 50% of the time. <laughs> And then turn the lights out and shut the door. And then start loudly arguing with your spouse. You don't make enough! Doing the best you can. You're not a real man! How am I supposed to live off this? Ava just sitting there listening in the dark. Just a single tear. A single tear. (laughs) Wow. Well, I don't know, Sona. I don't think you did the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I hope not. I got really uncomfortable by it. Yeah, as it ruined your relationship with these people? No, no, we're fine. We're fine. You know, know you should tell them they should be happy because if I had been in the room with you and the little girl had said, what is that thing between his legs? I would have said, it's a cockaroo! (laughs) It's a cockaroo! (laughs) And I would have followed her down the stairs going, a cockaroo! Come on! I'm I'm guessing Liza's the one who had to have all these talks with your children. Yes. What would happen is a question like this would come up and Liza would look at me. I'd look at Liza and we usually keep the windows in our house open so I can just roll right out. <laughs> and I would roll out onto a hedge below <laughs> and then I'd just run all the way till I hit the 405 freeway and then I'd go north <laughs> and I'd look for water up in the uh, up in the hills to try and live off of for a while. And then I'd come back when the coast was clear. But no, I think you answered that, uh, you know, the right way. I mean, yes, maybe you could have said, you got to ask your mom. But that's weird too. That is weird. Because it's like- Then you're making it weird, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Then then she can become like you. And you don't want that. Well, I mean, clearly whatever happened to me yielded an incredible (laughs) gift to the world, really, if you think about it. I hear crickets. Yeah, I don't we should right put crickets that. in here. <laughs> a genius, a solitary, lone voice that could unite a torn world. More crickets, please. Uh, this is good. A real genius. The Michelangelo of comedy. More crickets, please. Conan 
Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gourley. Produced by me, Matt Gourley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Becton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This episode was produced and edited by me, Brett Morris. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. <laughs>